The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So how many people were here um, last week, too? Good number of you. Okay, great. Um, so last week we began the series of uh, four talks on the Brahma Viharas, or the divine abodes. So these are uh, four different states of heart and mind that the Buddha recommended that we cultivate for our own well-being and for the well-being of others. So the first one that we um, talked about the last week was metta, uh, or kindness, friendliness, right? And uh, in the description I gave the, um, last week, it's kind of like the lead uh, one of these four states. So cultivating a heart that generally has a sense of well-wishing for other people, other animals, right? So understanding that just as we wish to be happy, so other people wish to be happy also. Other animals wish to be happy, right? Uh, so noticing what is it that's in our heart and trying to cultivate that sense of general well-wishing, right? So the second one that I want to focus on tonight is uh, specifically the quality of compassion. Uh, the Pali word uh, you might have heard is karuna, right? So compassion is when you encounter someone, including yourself, who's in suffering, right? This tone of well-wishing of the heart uh, shifts into a slightly different flavor, which is this sense of compassion. Right? So compassion is sometimes described as the quivering of the heart in relation to encountering pain. Right? The quivering of the heart. Right? So it's suffering with someone, including suffering with yourself. So being intimately connected to that suffering, that pain. And at the same time, uh, feeling that without giving way to uh, pity. Uh, pity is when you feel like you're separated from the pain, right? Uh, or giving way to grief, right? Or other reactions of uh, pushing away or uh, getting overwhelmed by pain, right? So when we encounter difficulty in our life, it's good to notice, like, what is actually the reaction of the heart? Like, how are we able to hold this, right? And you can notice sometimes your heart wobbling, you know, your reaction wobbling between these, right? So sometimes falling into pity, right? Like, oh, I feel sorry for them, right? So that sense is like, I'm up here and they're down there, right? Or sometimes you can fall into feeling sorry for yourself, right? Like, woe is me, why did this happen to me? Everything bad happens to me, right? So feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, there's a sense with that of, of not being connected, right? So not being connected to the other person in pain. And the part in which you feel sorry for yourself it seems sometimes to me like we're not connected to everyone else. Right? So you notice sometimes when the reaction comes up of like, why me? Right? Uh, it's more rare that the reaction comes up like, why not me? You know? <laughs> right? Like, oh, I sprained my ankle. Actually, every day, different people sprain their ankle. Right? <laughs> right? In the vast uh, mass of humanity, every day different people twist their ankles on the stairs, uh, there's people in every different country stepping into a pothole and twisting their ankle, people slipping, you know. There's a whole cadre of people having every different variety of suffering, including this one, right? So in some ways, when you are able to take in the sort of macro, the big picture, it's like, oh, all these things are happening to us as human beings in life, right? Some of them good things, some of them bad things. And the kaleidoscope is just continually shifting, right? Shifting, shifting, shifting in all these different areas of our life. So that sense of separation. And then the other side is, is feeling the heart wobbling sometimes into grief, right? Or despair, something like that. So sometimes it feels like the suffering is so overwhelming, right? Of ourself or of others. Like, what can I do about that? Oh, it's just so terrible, right? Uh, and grief, this kind of grief uh, can be like a sense of pushing away. Like, I can't bear to see that. It's too much, right? Like, I have to close my eyes to that. So in the, in the news lately, I'm sure um, maybe you're following the news, see, have seen the earthquake that happened in Haiti, right? And just incredible devastation that's uh, happened there, right? And a lot of deaths and, you know, the, the buildings collapsed. And, um, you know, those of us uh, here in Northern California and also an earthquake-prone area might be particularly uh, aware of what that, uh, that particular vulnerability, right, uh, can be like. Um, but because of the... Uh, less um, 
strong uh, buildings and infrastructure, it seems like the devastation has been just huge, right? I was just listening to the radio about the, like half the cabinet is dead or missing, and you know, it's like 50,000, 100,000 people dead. And just the level of devastation is like really epic, right? So when you hear things like this or encounter things like this, it's like, well, what, what's, what can the, the heart do, right? And, and noticing sometimes if it veers into just grief or despair, you know, or just wanting to, to shut the paper. It's like, I can't deal with this. I can't see that. Right? And it's understandable, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of suffering, right? Uh, but compassion actually provides an avenue for connecting with that information, connecting with the lives of others, right? So you actually notice that when that comes up. And as we cultivate this quality of compassion, you can get to know that. And also just uh, become familiar with these phrases that we can use to actually call that up. So in seeing this kind of devastation, connecting with the heart, you're like, oh, may, may people be free from suffering. Right? So as simple as that, right? So the part of the mind, the part of the heart that's like, well, what can I do? How can I solve it? Uh, how much money should I send? You know, so all of those are the reactions that, and could be good reactions. But first it's good to ground in the heart in that sense of compassion. Right? So otherwise sometimes the reactions can come from sort of a franticness, right? Or a, uh, the despair or just the wobbliness, right? So compassion is actually a very grounded sense. Right? It's totally grounded in the truth of the way things are. Right? So the Dharma, the truth of the way things are, is just facing what's real. Right? So pain in life may be difficult to open up to, but it's real. Yeah? It can feel hard, it can be cause some contraction, right? Uh, but actually being with what's real is part of being a seeker on the path of truth, right? Understanding the way things are. Right? The heart goes through different sort of openings and closings as we go through the life and as we encounter different kinds of suffering, right? So it's good to feel that, know that, right? But also to know that there's this reaction of compassion that is possible for us to call on at any time. Sometimes I think of it as like a, um, uh, the help function, you know, and like, uh, so if anyone uses like computers, right? So sometimes you're trying to figure out how to do something in a computer. It's like, well, how do you make a, how do you add up these different cells? I can't remember. How do you get the average? You know, you just scratch your head and you try different things. And then, and then sometimes I think, oh yeah, I could ask the help thing. So you go to help and then you write, you know, your little question and then occasionally something helpful pops up, right? <laughs> that gives you some guidance about how to run that formula or whatever, right? So actually, the compassion is actually kind of like the help function, right? So you can notice those times in life when you're feeling like the struggle with something, regardless of what it is, right? In your life or in something you see in someone else's life or something you read in the newspaper. And notice that sense of struggle in the heart, like, oh, yeah, don't want it to be this way, it's difficult. Oh, why is it like this, right? And then sometimes you can remember, like, oh, that, there's that help function in the corners, like, click, you know, compassion. Like, oh, oh, this is difficult. Hmm. May I be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering. So it's just as simple as that, right? Just as simple as that grounding. And then from that place of compassion can actually come whatever it is that is appropriate to do, right? So what action one can take, one wants to take in the world. So talking about compassion is never complete without uh, actually doing a little exploration of pain and suffering in life, right? And in the Buddhist teachings, this is really a main impetus for the Buddha's teaching. Right? So uh, there's a quote you may have heard of, of him saying, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Right? So some people say that's actually two things, right? Suffering and the end of suffering. Yeah. Basically, the focus is on that. It's like, uh, you notice these things about life is hard. You notice that things don't always go your way. You notice that your body changes in these ways that you may or may not like. You notice that you can't control other people and they do things you don't want them to do. People say things you don't want them to say. People break our hearts. Uh, possessions that are dear to us break down, fall apart, get stolen. Right? All this stuff happens in life. Right? On the other side, all kinds of beautiful things happen. Right? Good things happen, joyful things happen. So uh, not to ignore that. But usually when that stuff happens, we're kind of like going along with it. Right? and uh, not so motivated to take a second look at what's happening, right? 
But when hard things happen is when we're kind of tossed back and like, well, what's it all about? How can I deal with this? How can I, what's the meaning of life when these things happen? Right? Why did I lose my job? Why me? Right? So here's a uh, Buddha's uh, quote about dukkha. Dukkha, or uh, it's commonly translated as suffering, but also as just uh, stress, strain, discontent. Now this, monks, is the noble truth of dukkha. (coughs) Birth is dukkha. So if any of you have either given birth or been around uh, someone giving birth, right? There's a lot of pain in that, right? (laughs) It's very beautiful life coming into the world and so on, but, uh, you know, baby screaming, mother screaming, a lot of blood, right? Birth is dukkha. Aging is dukkha, right? So many of us are connected to that, right? (laughs) Can't do all the things that we used to be able to do. Uh, body gets older. Hair starts to disappear in some places, appear in other places that you don't like, right? Change color, right? Aging is dukkha. Death is dukkha, right? So death is difficult. Our own death and also the death of those we love, right? Death of people around us uh, is difficult, Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. That's uh, self-evident, right? And all of these are aspects of human existence that none of us can escape, right? Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Having things happen that you don't like, right? Association with the unbeloved is dukkha, right? So association with the unbeloved can mean uh, in terms of people you don't like who are unbeloved to you coming uh, into uh, close proximity to you. Uh, and that could be as simple as uh, you know, when someone sits down to, next to you on the bus, you don't want to sit there, right? It could be coworkers who you find difficult to deal with. It could be neighbors who take up loud musical instruments or play their music too loud. Uh, it could be people in your family, right, who you're forced to be uh, connected with. Separation from the loved is dukkha, right? So yeah, there's this category of things you don't like, people you don't like. There also are those that you do like, that you do love, but you can't always be with them, right? So those people are separated from us, either uh, occasionally from them going away, going to work, whatever, right? Them growing up and moving out, uh, them good friends moving away for various reasons, right? Not getting what is wanted is dukkha, right? So that's obvious too, right? So things don't always go your way. So all of us encountered that. You start encountering that from the time you're very small. Right? I was just spending time with a friend who has a three-year-old uh, who is clearly getting intimately connected with this uh, truth of discontent of not getting what she wanted all the time and uh, being very loud about it. Right? In short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. Right? It's actually this aspect of clinging to things. right? So going through human life and then clinging, right? is also this, uh, brings this discontent. Right? So the good news in the teachings of the Buddha is this is only the first noble truth, the first noble truth of dukkha, right? That this exists, right? So in some ways it's kind of comforting, uh, I find, to hear this. So if it feels like everything is not going perfectly in your life, it's not necessarily your fault. Right? So this is 2,600 years ago, the teachings, about all these different aspects of life, all these different aspects about the way things are, that are dukkha, right? There are causes for discontent, right? And then in the teachings, it goes on to give you the cause for that, and then uh, the antidote to that, and then the path uh, to freedom, right? So the, the path to freedom includes these practices of the Brahma-viharas, of cultivating the heart uh, towards these qualities of heart that are skillful, that are wise, right? Uh, and then learning how to avoid the unskillful uh, reactions on the other side. So how else can we react when there's pain in life, right? So we can uh, go to pity, we can push it away, right? We can turn away, we can go into grief, right? We can also get kind of resentful sometimes, right? About the difficult things uh, about life, right? And this is actually the reaction of the unwise heart, right? So the unenlightened heart kind of bumbling around, encountering different aspects of things. And something difficult happens, and then it's like, oh, what to do? I'm going to hate it, right? 
So already something difficult has happened, right? Say a pain in the body, you have an injury that you don't like. Or uh, you didn't get the job that you wanted, something like that, right? So that in and of itself, just staying with, staying with that in and of itself, there's pain, right? But then on top of that, sometimes we get this sense of resentment, right, about the difficulty of life. And sometimes we have the sense that this sense of resentment is justified. Uh, it's actually the smart thing to do. I'm seeing clearly. I'm seeing clearly that like I've been wronged, right? Uh, I should feel resentful. Anyone would feel resentful, right? So it can be true that unfair things happen in the world, right? It's absolutely true that unfair things happen in the world, and it also is true that sometimes things happen in which you really need to do something in order to change things. But it's good to look at what's the motivation of the heart that comes through, right, prior to taking action. Right? So paying attention to the state of the heart, right, in this pain. So here's a uh, quote about um, resentment. Uh, two quotes about resentment that I heard that I uh, liked recently. So one is, um, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for it to kill your enemy. <laughs> so that's, uh, uh, Nelson Mandela said that, right? Like drinking a poison and waiting for it to kill your enemy. Yeah. So, <laughs> who, of course, does the poison kill first, right? Yourself, right? The other person may be going around perfectly happy, right? Uh, or here's another one. Uh, hanging on to resentment is like letting someone you despise have rent-free space in your head. So that one is, uh, and Landers, <laughs> columnist, right? So how else can we deal with it then is to, to cultivate this sense of, of compassion. So like know what this sense of compassion feels like. And when we're starting to veer even towards this sense of being judgmental, being resentful, that too is a part of pain, right? That too is actually painful. Like, oh look, I'm caught in resentment. Oh look, I'm drinking the poison and think it's going to be helpful. Yeah, that's painful. Oh, may I be free from suffering? Oh look, I'm in pain. Oh look, right? So it's just simple as recognizing in a very basic way, and connecting with, with awareness, the fact of what's actually happening in your life. So another obstacle to being able to do this sometimes is denial. So trying to uh, pretend that uh, we're not actually in the state that we're in. So this can be from either uh, some sense that we have that, uh, you know, I'm a meditator, very spiritual person, someone has hurt me, uh, I express love back to them, or, you know, I won't um, hate them back, right? I think it's always very good to be very honest with yourself about what you're feeling in reaction to things, right? And that's the first step. And then you can see, maybe, like, okay, you know what, this is not very skillful. Like, this, this is a reaction that's um, not going to be helpful. But the first thing is you always have to recognize what it is that's there, right? So sometimes we do have reactions that we know better about, right? Like, oh, I know better than that I should hate that person for... Uh, having taken my parking space. But let's look in the heart, like, oh, actually, this is hatred. This is what this feeling is, right? So you can feel that, feel the pain of that, right? And like, oh, look, feel compassion for yourself in that, right? You can feel compassion for the whole situation in that way, right? So here we all are, like, struggling uh, through life with what we perceive to be limited resources, limited parking, and so on. And so then, yeah, here's, here's the, the conflict situation, right? So yeah, that's a difficult situation. Right? Uh, may we be free from suffering. Right? So always remembering to focus compassion. You can focus compassion on yourself. Right? But also remembering to focus on others too. Right? So bringing compassion to others. So in these teachings, you know, all beings wish to be happy. Right? And it's true when you look around that people are just trying to make their way in the world. Right? Like People are trying to do their best. People are trying to figure out what's going to make them feel safe. Uh, you know, people try and think about others sometimes, but a lot of time we're really kind of focused on our own experience, right, as human beings. Uh, even if we're focused on, like, what will other people think of us, that still is kind of focused on your own experience, right? <laughs> it's still from the standpoint of me, right? So since that's the situation for all of us, and we're all going around, and we're all in this world in which circumstances are changing, and they're changing beyond our control, right? So we're all in the same difficult boat, basically. Right? So you can try and have compassion for people even when they do something that is unskillful. Right? So rather than the reaction coming up of, well, serves them right, look, 
they're suffering, they're getting theirs, right? You know, uh, can see if we can reflect and be like, oh, look, you know, that person did something that was really unwise, and now they're suffering from it. Maybe I can have compassion for them, right? You can kind of remember sometimes times when you yourself did something that was not so wise, right? Uh, notice if there's any sort of like self-righteousness bubbling up in you, right? Uh, times when you too have made mistakes, right? And then see if we can have compassion for that other person right? in that way. So like with the metta, it's important to um, have it go both ways, right? So focus on yourself and focus on the other. And you might notice as you're doing it that it is harder to do it for one or the other, right? So some people find it easier to focus compassion on themselves, uh, but harder to focus on someone else. Other people find like vice versa, right? Uh, so it's good to notice, like, what are the areas in which it is difficult for me to have this sense? Uh, and then to actually give attention to uh, cultivating it in that particular arena. Right? So in the practice that we did here during the... Um, Meditation period is basically kind of like the metta practice. So with all of these uh, Brahma-Vihara practices, you start where it's easiest, right? So this is kind of good news for meditators. You start where it's easiest. Um, and so then you try and find some way in which you can just connect with uh, whatever the situation, an easy sense of compassion, right? So I was asking you to come bring to mind someone who it's really easy for you to feel this for, right? So when you start out, it's good not to take on someone who's too whose suffering is too epic, right? It's too big, right? And it's only yourself who can gauge what that is, right? So for some people, um, they can actually connect with someone who is um, dying and feel compassion quite easily. For others, it feels like overwhelming and difficult, right? So that's not a good place to start. Right? For some people, it's easier to connect with someone who's sort of more of a neutral person. So it's sort of a person they don't know super well, but who's having some kind of difficulty. So a neighbor or co-worker, but if you bring it closer in, like to a, a family member or to your partner or even to yourself, then it's easier to get overwhelmed. Right? So it's good to notice those things. So um, where is it easier for me to connect and also to be able to open to that suffering? Right? And then the phrase that you use, you know, with the compassion practice, there's a couple different phrases you can use. The one that I was uh, suggesting is, may I be free from suffering? So a very simple one. If that doesn't resonate with you, then there are other ones you can use. Like the one, other one I suggested was, uh, I care about my pain, or I care about your pain. Right? So it's just connecting very simply with that aspect right, of caring. And just like in the metta practice, we try to hold a sense of that person. right? Uh, and you can either use an image, or you can use the sort of energetic sense of that person in front of you. right? And then it's a concentration practice too, like the metta. So we're trying to maintain our focus on this person, animal, right? Uh, and then just continue to come back to this sense of well-wishing in the heart with compassion. May you be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering, right? So it's a very, uh, it's kind of a devotional practice in that way, right? The devotion being the continued return to that object, continued return to that intention of the heart, so like in the metta practice, your job as a meditator in this case is actually just to do the, the well-wishing with as much sincerity as you can each time that you make that wish. Right? So you don't have to worry about whether you feel huge, expansive compassion at the time, uh, whether uh, your image is strong or weak, any of that. So just you just try each time to connect. Right? And then like with vipassana practice also, your mind might tend to wander. Right, from that uh, person that you've held or object, right? So again, you just like notice that and try to be very patient. Just come back again, come back again, come back again, right? And then you can sort of shift in the categories if you wish, right? So the way, way that we did it here was we took the person who it's easier for you to send this to, then we shifted to yourself, right? And it's always good to spend some time with yourself in this practice. And then actually expanding out to all beings, so the all-beings part, I feel like, helps to get this kind of more uh, wide-angle view uh, of things and actually sometimes helps you to hold your own suffering and the suffering of someone else in this uh, view. So for some people, it actually helps to start with the wide-angle view and then kind of come back right, and, uh, to one particular object. 
So like the metta practice, it's both a concentration practice of developing steadiness of mind by continually coming back to the object, coming back to the image, coming back to this sense of well-wishing, right? Uh, and then also you are cultivating this particular quality in your heart. Like that. So maybe I'll stop uh, with that for the moment and see if people have any questions, either about the practice that we did or uh, about particular situations or uh, anything that I said. Questions, comments, complaints. Just went over there. I just wondered if you could repeat that Nelson Mandela quote again. Sure. Uh, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for it to kill your enemy. <laughs> um, we started with another person, and. Um, I guess I wasn't very concentrated on that, but then I was like, oh, I want to go to myself because yeah. I was feeling before you directed me there. So, yeah. I mean, if you get that kind of welling up, you just go there. Yeah, yeah, totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you can actually just do it for yourself. That's a very useful and a legit <laughs> way to practice it. So, um, yeah, you can skip the other person to start with and just go to yourself if you want. Oh, I wanted to do it for her, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good, and... and um Sometimes uh, it comes very strongly for yourself, and sometimes um, it seems not to. Um, even when it seems not to, I think it's good to persist with yourself because, uh, you know, oftentimes there's areas of our life that are painful, but that we have um, practiced well blocking out, right? <laughs> blocking out our connection to that particular aspect. Uh, but actually the, the, the cultivation of uh, compassion sort of helps to soften that in some ways. So sometimes you can be going along and it feels like, oh, you know, it's not really doing anything and not much is happening. But if you just stay with it, you know, stay steady with it as you can, then um, there can be sometimes like an opening, openings that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I also kind of feel like a lot of times when I do that for myself, I feel maybe some doubt or that kind of edge. So just persist. Yeah. Yeah. And when you feel the doubt, what is it? Is it like, oh, is this really doing anything? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so so just like in the Vipassana practice, like the hindrances, as they say, come up, you know, including doubt, like, oh, this isn't really working. You should be doing something else, or, you know, yeah. So just persist with it. And know that, you know, it's just, it is just kind of like planting these seeds. Um, and, uh, you know, as the right conditions come up, they, you know, the water, the sun, and so on, and they will flower, you know. And it's kind of like that in, in life, like we're always, I think I said this the last time too, it's like we're always cultivating something. You know, so if you if you're um, going around resenting people out, you're cultivating resentment. So those are the seeds you're planting, and that's what's most likely to pop up uh, at random times. You know, right? Uh, so if you're cultivating compassion, whether or not it feels like a giant um, fireworks of compassion right now, that's those are the seeds you're planting. So it's always like energy well spent to be cultivating that, to be planting those seeds, right? whether or not it's like flowering now. Um, the uh, compassionate meditation you were doing made me think about uh, compassionate prayer and Mm. I think that there's some using Christianity that uh, I think the term is distantiated prayer or prayer where the object of the prayer doesn't know they're being prayed for Mm. and there's a sense that that has a a power, a healing power. Yeah. And I wonder if Buddhism has any sense of the power of the compassionate meditation beyond the individual. Yeah. How does Buddhism speak to that? Mm, yeah, like, so it's like, oh, is it just about cultivating for me? It does have effect, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, I think it does have an effect, and there are actually stories, um, there are definitely stories about the power of metta uh, and uh, the effect that it has on people, animals. Uh, actually, there's... Um, uh, for those who will actually practice like metta compassion, so these particularly spoke about but metta, but all the Brahma Viharas, there's this list of I think like twelve um, advantages, you know, things that will happen, and among them is like uh, people will love you, animals will love you, uh, you sleep well, you have sweet dreams, uh, poisons and fire will not harm you, uh, uh, you have a, a clear and beautiful countenance, face, you know. Um, the angels or the spirits, the devas, uh, will love you. Uh, you know, so there, there are all these different, uh, you know, accounts of the things that will do it. 
it is like kind of like, well, what do you emanate in the world? You know, like that does tend to affect others and uh, come back to you too, right? You've heard, I've, I agree with you. I've heard these stories of, you know, not necessarily about Buddhist uh, practice, but uh, but sometimes also that about people who, you know, were lost or something like that. Or I remember one one story about a guy who was like uh, shipwrecked or something, right? This boat capsized, and he's like hanging onto a coconut or something for you know days. The ocean, and you know, so every every day at a certain time, like his family would go. This is actually a Buddhist story. It's a temple, and they'd do this metta practice for him, you know. And then when he came back, he actually reported that, like at a certain time of the afternoon, he always felt like a sudden relief. You know, he's hanging onto his coconut all the time, and then he felt some like, oh, so I have strength to go on, or you know, something like that, right? The power of that. And in the uh, the, the stories of the Buddha's time, there are a lot of good stories about metta and how that affects uh, others around. Um, for instance, so in, in the Buddha's lifetime, he actually had an enemy too, his cousin, uh, Devadatta, right? who was kind of his, uh, uh, sort of his arch enemy. So in Devadatta's mind, he was trying to, um, he was very jealous of Buddha, so he was basically constantly trying to like kill him and destroy the Sangha and split it up and things like that. Right? And he's very like, uh, sort of, um, it's almost cartoonish, like he's trying to like drop giant boulders on the Buddha when he's meditating, and uh, you know, like all kinds of, you know, it's like wily e. coyote, <laughs> the roadrunner kind of, you know, acme uh, destruction. So in one case, he gets this um, giant, uh, uh, ferocious elephant, and the Buddha is going on his arms round, and he sends this elephant, and I think he also makes the elephant mad by like poking it with like hot sticks or something like that. So the elephant's like crazed and like galloping down this alley towards the Buddha, and um, the Buddha's attendant, Ananda, like steps in front of him to like bravely guard him, and the Buddha says, "Like, no, step aside, Ananda. <laughs> it's not for you to do this, right?" And the Buddha basically just emanates loving kindness towards the uh, elephant. And as the story goes, you know, the elephant's like galloping and it's mad, but as it comes closer, because the force of that loving kindness is so strong, like he starts moving slower and slower, and becoming calmer and calmer as he enters this field of love, you know, uh, and then. Uh, he slows to a stop. By the time he gets to the Buddha, he actually just takes some uh, dust and sprinkles it on his feet as like a gesture of respect. Right? So he's tamed by that. Right? And uh, you know, this is another quote from, that uh, has come down from uh, you know, Gandhi and MLK and uh, the Buddha. You know, hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred can only cease by love. This is a universal law. Right? So this is a quote from the Buddha 2,600 years ago, also repeated by Gandhi also repeated by Martin Luther King Jr., right? So it sounds like it's a universal law, all these people are saying it, right? <laughs> Through time, different uh, periods of time. Uh, and you think about it, like it is actually hard to maintain hatred in the face of love, you know, right? And if you try and counter someone who hates you with hatred, right, that usually doesn't decrease things, that usually escalates, right? But when you meet that with love, it's sort of like there's nothing for them to hit against, you know? It's like space, you know? Uh, and eventually they might sort of run out of that energy of that. These practices are actually very similar to many of the practices in, uh, like in Christianity. Um, there's this prayer, the, the Jesus prayer. Uh, if anyone's read The Way of a Pilgrim, Way of a Pilgrim. Uh, it's like a, a sort of classic um, uh, book about an Eastern Orthodox pilgrim who goes around uh, saying this prayer, and he sort of repeats this prayer constantly which in the Christian format is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Right? And he basically repeats this all the time in his heart. And he's going on pilgrimage. Right? So with this like, compassion practice, it basically is doing this similar thing, like you know, not to some, offering that to some specific uh, being, right? but like, may I be free from suffering, just cultivating that intention. Right? And you can actually choose to take this up as your daily practice. Right? So as your daily practice in your sitting meditation, but also actually like this... this uh, uh, we have a pilgrim poem to so have this be the kind of beating of your heart all the time, right? So you can have this, these phrases just going through. You, know, you can try it sometime. Try it like, okay, when I walk to work today, I'm just going to try cultivating compassion like this. May I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. Or wishing it to others. May I be free from suffering, right? And just let that be sort of like softly the rhythm of your whole being as you go through the day. And then notice when it uh, wanes, you don't notice when it comes back, right? So this is actually a really powerful way to sort of cultivate this. And this can actually become uh, kind of the baseline from which we operate with others, you know, an understanding that 
yeah, everyone I encounter today has had some good things happen and some bad things happen, you know. Everyone who I encounter has their share of sorrows. Like, I don't know what their story is, but they've had different things happen to them in their life. Uh, they've had different aspects of their family that may be difficult for them. They may or may not feel fulfilled in their job. They may or may not feel like they're loved at this very moment. Their health may or may not be good. Like, I don't know, right? So everyone who you meet, the person who gives you coffee, uh, the person you pass by on the street, your coworkers, right? We don't know. So kind of holding that sense of life and of humanity, it's like, yeah, we can sort of cultivate that practice. And then you can notice also, like, does it actually affect people? You know, it's kind of like the experiment of your own life. Like when I encounter people with this quality of heart, what's the effect that it has on people? Like, does it have any effect on people? And sometimes it may seem like no, but uh, in my experience it often is yes. Like actually, even beyond uh, people knowing what to put their finger on, you know, they uh, will uh, feel the sense of that. Right? So try it and see. I mean, you, some of you may have had encounters with this in doing this practice, so if you do, then I also uh, invite you to share what that is. But, uh, yeah. Thank you for your question. Um, I think I sometimes get a little confused about the distinction between loving kindness and compassion, especially in terms of as quality of the heart, as qualities of the heart. Mm-hmm. They feel sort of similar in a way. I guess yeah. I don't know if even the practices seem similar, if they're kind of avenues towards the same quality of the heart, or if they're actually different. And I know you talked about compassion being more a response specifically to suffering, but... Yeah. Sometimes the distinction really blurs to me, so I'm wondering if you could yeah, speak about that. Yeah, yeah they're very related. Uh, they're definitely very related, and uh, it really is just the uh, connection. Like when metta connects with suffering, then it's like a slight the shading towards compassion, and uh, you could kind of pay attention in your own heart, like if you feel those different shadings. And even with metta, there's also different flavors of metta too. So sometimes if you practice metta towards different people as objects, you notice that like it actually feels a little different, right? So if you practice metta, so well-wishing towards your dog, right, it feels one way, or towards a small child is one way, and then towards uh, someone who you know well, someone who you don't know, you can feel that different uh, uh, sense of it, right? Um, so so there's kind of a range within the sense of kindness, right? Uh, and it's a very beautiful exploration. It's kind of like, you know, like there's many different things that we pay attention to the gradients of, you know, like say taste or like the wine, you know, it's like, oh, there's all these different, the bouquet, you know, whatever. but it's like, oh, let's pay attention to that in the heart, you know, like what's the different flavors of the heart, right? So then the, the, the compassion is really like when that sense of general well-wishing encounters uh, suffering or encounters the conditions uh, of suffering or pain. And it can be even just a little bit of pain. So sometimes the metta just in and noticing that can feel like, oh, it's shifting towards compassion, like that, right? Um, but sometimes it can feel more distinct, like uh, in encountering, for example, people who are incredibly obviously suffering, it seems like to actually say, like, oh, may you be happy, when they're obviously not happy right now, it feels like they're kind of disconnected from their actual present situation, right? So how can we be connected to that and still have that sense of the heart? is with this compassion. It's like, oh, you are suffering now, right? So, okay, maybe be free from suffering. That's like the appropriate wish to have, right? So that means that in different Buddhist traditions, they emphasize metta or compassion more or less. So in many of the Mahayana traditions, the focus is much more on compassion, right? Uh, as sort of a primary thing, and then sort of metta as uh, a little bit more subsidiary or something like that, right? I mean, not exactly that, but right. Um, and then in this tradition, the emphasis is primarily on metta as sort of the entry point, and then compassion as sort of a flavor of that. Um, but all of them are good things to cultivate and worthy. And I think also at different times in one's life, one or the other may seem more um, accessible, or may seem more, um, like you may be more drawn to cultivate that than others. Uh, and one guideline is like the times in which uh, you're more opening to suffering, right? Or when there's more suffering in your own life, right? Then it's like, oh, okay, compassion here. So, others? Questions? Observations? This terminology is called idiot compassion. Um, If you could talk a little bit about it, please, and maybe an example. 
I haven't heard it actually, so you're going to have to help me with it. So what, what have you, uh, have you heard this one? I'm not too sure about it, but it's, um, I think it might have to do with connecting, but really disconnecting hmm. in terms of compassion, but I'm not too familiar on it either. I've just heard of the term before. Hmm. Idiot compassion. Has anyone else heard of this term? Maybe this uh, friend can help out here. Um, I heard of the term once in one of uh, Pema Chodron's books where she was talking about the near enemies of compassion. And what I picked up from it was that the, the idiot compassion was something just very, very similar to pity. Okay. I know she had a very subtle, she had a subtle difference between okay. the two. I don't remember which book it was, but it was in one of her books and in that type of tradition that I, that I heard that term also. And it was in discussing the near enemies of compassion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the near enemy is this pity. There's the one near enemy is the one that sort of looks like it, but it's not that. So sometimes you can mistake pity for compassion, but uh, the difference is that sense of disconnection. Like I'm here, you're there, right? Um, and then the far enemy, the opposite, is cruelty. Actually, compassion, right? So uh, the opposite is actually causing pain. So having that sense of wanting to cause pain. Um, like with the metta, you know, I think I said this one we did the metta the last time. As you're doing the practice, sometimes it seems cryptically like the opposite comes up. So as you're doing the metta practice, you sort of notice when these little bubbles of hatred come up, and it's kind of alarming. Like, oh no, I was doing the metta practice. How did this come, right? Or as you're doing compassion practice, sometimes you notice cruelty, actually. Um, So it is actually a purification practice. So as you're doing it, sometimes it does actually sort of allow for the seeing of the opposite. And the way I understand that is both that... uh, it allows for the seeing of that as you're able to be more open and see that which uh, is there, which you might otherwise have sort of tried to block out, right? And also that as part of the purification, it allows these things to arise and pass away, too, right? So it's described kind of like if you have a piece of um, hot metal and you're trying to cool it down and you put water on it, then there's like, right? There's a little sizzle as you put the water on it. So you don't have to worry about that sizzle. That's sort of part of the purification, part of the cooling down process. So as you're doing this in the heart, that kind of comes out. So I'll make something up about idiot compassion, even though I don't actually know the phrase, which is uh, <laughs> what teachers do. They answer the question they want to answer. just for, you know, uh, Because sometimes I think people feel like, oh, it's, it is stupid to be compassionate. Like really the thing to do to be strong would be to hate or to stay away from this person or... Uh, you know, it seems like, it's kind of like what people say with metta sometimes, is like, oh, it seems like a weakness. Like, love seems like a weakness, you know. Whereas actually, love is such a strength, you know. Uh, like, love is the best protection. Compassion is the best protection in some ways, right? Particularly understanding, like, who are we really? Like, what do we have to protect in the end, right? Uh, now, it doesn't mean the same thing as in uh, everyone who does bad things, I need to... Um, live with them and hug them and have them close to me, or, you know. So you can have compassion for someone and also understand, like, you know, they're really in a difficult, uh, like they're going through some hard things right now and they're behaving in ways that are really not appropriate. So I can have compassion for them, but that doesn't mean that I need to be in close proximity to them, right? So it's kind of the balancing of wisdom and love or wisdom and compassion, right? So I can do what I can to help them. Uh, I can uh, not have to hate them but I also don't have to spend every day with them while they're behaving in this way, right? So, you know, this is a difficult thing, but uh, wisdom and compassion uh, are intimately connected. So in seeing the way things are, in seeing the pain of how things are, you have to hold both compassion for yourself and compassion for the other, right? So there's wisdom in all of these heart practices, even though uh, sometimes they get like a bad rap about just being kind of mushy and, you know, soft. And in my experience also of doing a lot of these practices, wisdom arises from this. So when you actually can be in connection with other people, including in connection with people who you have previously sort of labeled as uh, bad or difficult or something like that, wisdom arises of understanding, like, oh, this, these are the causes and conditions in this person's life that makes them act like this. You know? mm-hmm. Like I've had that happen many times when just in focusing on someone with this sense of metta, compassion, some understanding arises like, oh, maybe this is why this person is like this. Right? Something that helps to sort of unlock that usual way of being in conflict with that person, uh, which then softens the heart. Right? So it kind of is a 
good selling of the ground for wisdom to arise too. Yeah. What if you don't have the opportunity um, to get an understanding of what makes them difficult and on the surface what you see is actually they have a very good life and yet they are being very difficult people despite the good life maybe because they are carrying on some wounds from childhood that they are refusing to let go of yeah. and they end up hurting others um, so in that case or in general a case where it's difficult to feel compassion for someone yeah. either because you don't have the understanding of why they are being hurtful and difficult going around hurting. Some people, it's obvious that they've had a rough life and you just right. feel the compassion. But there are many, especially in the Bay Area, my experience has been, mm. it's not obvious and you don't yeah. have the opportunity to see, to see it. What you see is that this person has actually a very blessed, fortunate life and yet yeah. is going around and hurting people Um yeah. How do you feel compassion for those people? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is to recognize, like, if you don't feel compassion for them, okay, you don't, right? <laughs> so it's like, okay, so this is, this is what the current state of my heart is with that. So then you can notice, like, so how is that for me, right? So how, how is it right now for me in my reaction to this person, right? So there's one place to look is like, oh, look, like I resent them or I feel this, you know. So oh, that's actually difficult. That feels painful for me, right? So then you can actually focus compassion on yourself, right? Because it's like, oh, right now, like, I don't have whatever uh, understanding or the conditions are not there for me to feel compassion for this person. And this feels like this, like the clutched up heart feels like this. Ouch, right? Ooh, that hurts, right? The other thing you can do is actually just reflect um, the times when you yourself, because usually when we're, when we're thinking like that, it's like there's a separation. You know, there's me who acts in a rational, understandable way, right? And then there's, like, other people who uh, are acting in these ways that, like, are totally... And not understandable, right? But actually if we reflect on, have there any been any times in my life when I've done something that's hurt someone else, right? Like, has there been any time when I've done something that I later regret in some way, right? No matter how small. And it might be much smaller than what this other person is doing, but still, right? And when I actually took that action, like, what was the state of my own heart and mind? Like, why did I do that, right? And usually it's from some sense of either being uh, in pain, being misguided, at the very least, feeling disconnected from others, right? Like just being in your own little world. And that in and of itself is actually painful and uh, not seeing things the way they are, right? So sometimes in reflecting on one's own conduct and what the causes are of that can help you to, to just get a hit of like, well, anytime anyone is acting like this bozo is over here, like it's coming from not being connected, it's coming from pain, right? It's sort of by default, right? Because if someone is actually happy and connected, they naturally will act in a way that's more harmonious. If I was convinced that they are behaving that way out of pain, it would be easy to have compassion. Yeah. But often the difficult people I'm thinking of is some of them, where it's not obvious it's pain. It yeah. seems like it's not so much from pain, but it's more from being self-centered, yeah. self-absorbed, self-entitled. Right. Yeah. That's where the difficulty comes. If it's from, it's not always coming from pain. So it's sometimes you, coming from a self of entitlement and, right. you know, um, right. being self-centered and self-absorbed. So, you know, I would say that actually being self-centered and self-absorbed is actually a version of pain, right? Because it's like, it's like an, uh, you're living in this illusion where it's just me and I, like, I have to navigate through life and sort of fend off these other things and, like, I have to get mine. It's like the sense of real disconnection, right? Which, when you actually tap into what that feels like, like as opposed to actually feeling like I'm part of something larger, I'm connected, you know, uh, it's painful. Like that sense of self-absorption is really painful. It's a more subtle kind of pain than like, you know, uh, someone has beat me to a pulp or something like that, you know, but it's definitely there, that sense of like, I am alone and it's just me and, you know, and then depending on the person, it manifests in different ways. But uh, that's actually like the... Uh, kind of primary illusion that all of us hold to like greater or lesser extent, you know, is that like, I am alone, there's me navigating in the world, right? Uh, and it's really the cause of like so much of the uh, suffering and the unwise actions that all of us take, really. So maybe just to reflect on that, too, can be helpful, like to paying attention to like, oh yeah, actually that in and of itself, that self-absorption, like narcissism, you know, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so narcissism is actually a state of uh, being disconnected, like not being, seeing how things really are. 
uh, and being uh, in pain, right, in that way. So that may be subtle level. Another, then they on a more overt level. It's like nobody likes them because they're a jerk, right? So, <laughs> so that also has pain, right? So this person is behaving in this way that's very difficult, and like that's not really winning them friends either, right? So, uh, you know, that's hard too. So, kind of whichever angle you can help you get in. And if there's no angle, then you just be like, you know what? I, this person is in the category of difficult person for me right now. Like it's hard for me to wish compassion for them. So, okay, just see that's how it is, right? That's how it is right now. Uh, uh, I'm into something that would say people are either coming from love or calling for love. Mm. Mm -hmm. Would that take care of what you've just said? (laughs) It could be, yeah. Could you add to that? Or is that... Yeah, I think that's pretty succinct, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So I think we're coming to the end of our time. So maybe we'll just uh, sit together briefly and do the sharing of merit, blessings. So just connecting again with our hearts and feeling appreciation for the opportunity to come here, practice meditation together, learn about the teachings of liberation, We share the blessings from our practice here tonight with everyone here and with all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for your attention. And thank you also, I appreciate in advance for the donations that you make. This center is a very beautiful center and that it's run all on donations. So I appreciate that too. And also appreciate as a Dharma teacher who uh, puts out the begging bowl, uh, whatever that you offer that helps to support my life. Uh, And also encourage you to practice this in your uh, daily life too, these compassion practices. So like experiment with it, you know, in all these different ways we talked about and uh, see what works for you. So next week we'll talk about uh, appreciative joy, mudita. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>